Luke chapter number 7. We're going to read verse 18 down through verse 23. And we'd saved up money. We have a, a sort of a larger church, and everybody saved up a bunch of money. And we were going to send the preacher and his wife. There's a place not far from us called Half Moon Bay. And there's a Ritz-Carlton Hotel overlooks the ocean there, real nice. And we we're going to pay for them to stay three days or so. Found out she wasn't coming, so you and Brother Harris will just enjoy that together. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a hot tub shaped like a heart and stuff. Y'all you, 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 have a time out there. Luke chapter number 7. <laughs> he acted excited about it. All right, verse number, verse number 18. And we'll read down through verse number 23. Just for context, John the Baptist is in prison. He's preaching like a wild man and wouldn't cut corners and wouldn't stop crying out against sin. And his testimony, his Christianity got him put in prison. And I reckon that's probably the only good reason for you to get put there. Say amen right there. But uh, he's in jail. In verse number 18, a couple of his disciples come. And let's look at what it says in verse 18. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. Jesus performing miracles and uh, healing sick folk, casting out demons, raising the dead, doing things only God can do. They come back and tell John, verse 19, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel's preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now John the Baptist is a great man of faith. He's a hero of the faith. But circumstances have changed in his life. He's in a place he hadn't planned. He's in a place he hadn't prepared for. This is not how he thought it was going to work out. And he finds himself there behind these prison bars wrapped in chains and it causes this man to doubt. And his disciples come and say, you'll never believe what Jesus is doing. He's raising the dead. He's cleansing the lepers. He's opening blinded eyes. And John the Baptist doesn't respond with, whoa, we're on the winning side. He doesn't respond with, God's on his throne. He said, would you all do me a favor? Would you go back there and say, now Jesus, listen. I, John just wants to know, are you really him? Now listen, don't, don't think bad about John. He's the same man that said, behold the Lamb. He's not, not a different man, same man, but his circumstances are changing. They go and talk to Jesus, tell him this, and Jesus responds by in that same hour doing only what God can do. He says, you just go back and tell John, I'm still doing what I've always done. Amen. You see, good days don't make God God. Right. And good circumstances don't make God God. Right. You having money in your pocket doesn't make God God. Right. You having no family in the hospital and not having to visit the graveyard doesn't make God God. God is God regardless of your circumstances. Now that's easy to say amen to and easy to preach, but that's hard to live. For a little while this evening, I want to try to be a help to you. I preached this at our church two weeks ago, and I just found if we need it, probably you need it too. Or if I need it, you probably need it too. And here's the thought. There is no need to doubt him now. There's no need to doubt him now. Let's pray. God, I pray for your power to preach. I pray for liberty. I pray you'd help this church and their preacher. 
I, I ask you to meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. For all practical purposes, it's probably safe to say this crowd tonight is made up of people that believe God is real. We don't battle with that fact. We know it in our soul. God is real. This isn't the crowd that believes that all that is came from some big catastrophe somewhere. We don't believe that everything that is was pulled out of nowhere and nobody's smart enough to explain how it happened. We're not the crowd that goes to the zoo and has our family reunions outside the cage. Amen. We don't admire Uncle Orangutan and Aunt Gorilla as they eat their bananas there inside of their jail cell. We don't pray our Father which art in heaven swinging by thy tail. I don't believe that at all. This isn't the and by the way, isn't that sad and sorry? Some people pay a lot of money to go and get educated by that crowd. <clears throat> this isn't the crowd that's been overeducated to the point of ignorance, and we'd say this beautiful world is one of the most happy accidents that's ever occurred. Now tonight, the academic elitists would try to say that a uh, that a painting cannot just happen. And they would tell you that a building cannot just happen. And they would tell you that a symphony cannot just happen. But that same crowd would mock you and I for saying there's no way that this world can just happen. And let me say it again. Why would you pay them thousands of dollars to teach you anything if they can't wrap their mind around that? No sane person believes order comes out of disorder. Nobody believes that that which is animate comes out of that which is inanimate. We don't believe that matter evolves out of antimatter. What I'm saying is we don't believe tonight in a big bang, a big boom, a big blunder, or a big mistake back there somewhere. I don't believe in a big black hole. I believe in a big holy God that in the beginning created everything that is. Now the majority of us here tonight would agree without question there is a God who resides in heaven. One day he'll reign on earth and he's the reason for everything that is, shall be, or ever has been. We can say it like this tonight. All of us have faith in the existence of God. We believe that God is. But though we believe that God is, I want to ask you this evening, how is your faith in God and what He's doing in your life? We have faith that God can sculpt the galaxies out of nothing. But you have faith to believe He can guide your next step. We have faith to believe God can pull up mountains from the dust to the ground. But you have faith in God that He can put food on your table. We have faith that God created every beast in the field, every bird in the sky, and all the fish in the sea. But you have enough faith to believe that God's aware of you and that God can meet your every need. You see, the truth of God is a wonderful truth. But does your faith in God remain as strong when we change the subject from faith in God being to faith in what God is doing in your life. I was meditating on that in my own life and I'll just be honest with you for a little bit this evening. I guess that's all right when we preach if we do that. And I think I've concluded it is easier to have faith in the existence of God than often it is to have faith in the activity of God. Now, I don't hesitate to declare Genesis 1 is true. I believe Genesis 1 is true, and I have no doubt about it whatsoever. I think I could say it like this. I have faith in the fact that God is, and there's no hesitation there. But I believe it's possible to have faith in God and that He is, and at the same time have some anxiety or trepidation or doubt over what God is doing in my life. Now, before you look at me sideways, let me say this. You're the very same way. Now, I have total faith tonight that God is on his throne. 
I have faith that God created this world. I have faith that God saved my soul. I have faith that one day I'll be in heaven. But at times, that faith shares residency in my heart with a little bit of trepidation or doubt, if you will, over what God is doing in my life or in my family or in our church or in our nation or in this generation. Now, I don't have to bring news articles to the pulpit tonight from around this world or just bring a headline from our nation or take you down to the ICU unit tonight to remind you that life in this world is very uncertain. Things move so fast. Things fall apart so easy. Life is so fragile. And there's so many different roads we can take and decisions that we have to make. I saw a t-shirt the other day when I was out shopping and the only time I go shopping is when my wife kidnaps me and says we're going someplace else. But anyway, we were out in a store and I saw a t-shirt and it said life is easy. Now whoever made up that t-shirt ought to win the liar of the millennium award and then run for president next election because you know better than I do, life in this world isn't easy, life is hard. And it's even harder when you stop and think we live by faith and not by sight. Now, faith is total dependence. Faith is total trust. Faith is utter reliance. Faith is stepping out without any reservation. Faith believes the impossible. Faith believes what it cannot see. Faith believes what it cannot understand. Faith believes without knowing. And I can say tonight, I have unwavering faith in God, but at the same time, I battle weakness and the frustration of my flesh and sometimes faith has to share a room with doubt in my heart. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, be careful for nothing. What that means is don't worry. But the truth of it is, all of us worry every single day. Now tonight, fear or doubt is the antithesis of faith. And those things cannot mix and mingle, but they can cohabitate in the heart of the child of God. For example, Peter had great faith in God until he didn't have faith in God and he doubted. You say, what do you mean? Peter was ready to charge hell with a squirt gun filled with kerosene until things didn't work out the way he thought they should. And then he quit the ministry and he went fishing. He wanted to charge hell wide open until Jesus got taken before Pilate and he denied the Lord three times. In his heart at the same time, there was faith and there was doubt. The same thing's true with Job. Job was a great man of faith, except when things didn't work out the way Job thought they should. You read the book of Job and at times that great man of faith was also questioning God and he was a man of doubt and what I'm saying is this it is possible and more than possible it happens all the time to possess a great faith in God and a great doubt over what God is doing in your life at the same time we sing that song I'm living by faith and feel no alarm but if we're going to be honest and sing it we could sing I'm living by faith and I feel so alarmed now, if you and I are going to live a victorious Christian life, here's what you have to do. You have to anchor your faith in God. And I don't mean anchor your faith in just the fact that God is, but you've got to anchor your faith that God knows what he's doing in your life. I'm talking about having faith in God when it comes not just to our salvation and faith in God not just when it comes to his existence, but I'm talking about having faith in God when it comes to your money and faith in God when it comes to your health care and faith in God when it comes to your job and faith in God when it comes to your college and faith in God when it comes to your family and faith in God when it comes to your ministry. The Bible says faith 
faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And in the process, faith in God can overcome fear and overcome doubt and overcome worry. And I don't believe tonight I can convince any of us to recant our faith in God. We know better than that. There's a God in heaven and there's a God on the throne. And we know that God exists and that he is. But my question is this, how's your faith in what God is doing in your life? I think I could say it like this. I have faith in God. I don't have faith in God. I have faith in God. I don't have faith in God. I believe God's alive and well, but sometimes I wonder what in the world is God doing in my life? And I'd sign my name to a declaration of faith about God's existence, but sometimes my hand would tremble to sign my name on the dotted line when it says, do you believe God is doing uh, what he ought to be doing in your life right now? Here's, how, here's what I mean. How many Christians are that they believe God is? But when the preacher uh, preaches on peace in the valley, and they're in the valley and don't feel like they have any peace, they begin to question, I don't know what God's doing in my life. How many Christians are there? They believe God will supply all their need until they need something supplied. And then the preacher preaches on the fact God will put food on your table, but it doesn't look like any food's coming to their table. And all of a sudden, that faith in God resides with doubt in their heart. How many are there that hear a preacher preach on God will restore the prodigal son? And that's good preaching, and that's a great parable. But think about it whenever you've got a prodigal son, somebody out there in the world, and it doesn't seem like they even want to hear you talk about the Lord. Can I say sometimes in your heart, that heart will share residency with faith and doubt. And here's what happens. Sometimes we'll shout, God is in control with our spirit but our flesh reminds us maybe God isn't in control and from our vantage point sometimes it seems like things are falling apart the circumstances don't measure up to our planner things aren't working out the way we scheduled them and God isn't being the kind of God that we expected him to be in our life here's the dangerous place to live when you allow the flip the script uh, the script the flip sorry and you begin to think God exists to meet your expectations God doesn't exist to meet my expectation. I've been created for the pleasure of God. And sometimes my plan doesn't match up with God's plan. But when those plans don't match up, it doesn't mean God's not God. It doesn't mean God's not on his throne. It doesn't mean God's not good. And there's no need to doubt him now. Just because God doesn't measure up, he's still God. Can I say it like this? Nobody plans on getting a disease. Nobody plans on a broken heart. Nobody plans on persecution. Nobody planned for a pandemic. Nobody plans to be widowed. Nobody plans to bury a baby. Nobody plans to fail the ministry. Nobody plans to go from job to job. Nobody plans to lose their savings. Nobody plans to have a friend forsake them. Nobody plans life like that. David did not plan an Absalom. Job did not plan to bury children. Hezekiah didn't plan his sickness. Paul didn't plan a prison cell but can I say God was still God when those, those things creep into our life when doubts and questions and fear flood our mind and trouble our spirit you got to remind yourself your circumstances might not be pleasant but God is still present God is still alive God is still God and there's no need to doubt him now it's easy to believe God that he is but it's harder some days to believe that God knows what he's doing in your life and there it is when things don't matter up to what you expected that doubt enters into your life and at the same time in the same heart there is the doubt that comes through the flesh and there's faith in God through the spirit in the same God you say I don't know I wanted a child we prayed for a baby and we haven't had one I wanted that job and I didn't get it 
I just wanted to have a happy life and my life is miserable. I wanted good health and we're always sick. I planned success and it seems like my life is falling apart and those seeds of doubt begin to bloom in your heart. Let me make the statement, God has never been unfaithful. Let me say it again, God has never been unfaithful. I'll say it, God has never been unfaithful. God has always come through. God has always made a way. God has always upheld his end of the bargain. And though our flesh and our fickle spirit might doubt God, can I say God knows what he's doing in our life. I don't want to be a professing Christian and a practicing atheist and doubt what God is doing. I think tonight if we can remember this, God designs your life. God directs your life. God provides for your life. God delights in your life. So there's no need to doubt Him now. Before you were ever born, God knew you. He formed you in the belly. He wrote a script for your existence. He already charted a path and a course for your life. And can I say God knows best and God knows better and God knows what he's doing in my life and in yours and let me help you cheer up child of God it might not look like it it might not feel like it but it doesn't change the fact it's true God has never failed and he's not going to start in your life and there's no need to doubt him now one of my favorite Bible personalities is John the Baptist now I don't get too crazy a preacher about his title but let me say this I like the fact he wasn't ashamed of it he didn't take it off his church sign or anything John the Baptist was an Old Testament and New Testament golf spanner. He's likened to an Old Testament prophet, but his ministry cut the ribbon on the New Testament. From the womb, he was a worshiper. The Bible said he was filled with the Spirit of God and leapt in the belly of his mother. The Bible says of John, he's a man sent from God. God ordained John to be the forerunner of Christ. He's a man that called Israel to repentance. He was sent to make the crooked heart straight. John the Baptist was peculiar. He was peculiar in his calling. He was peculiar in his clothing. He was peculiar in his convictions. He's peculiar in his combustion. Sounds like a good preacher if you ask me. John the Baptist wasn't some silky smooth orator. He was a spiritual wrecking ball that God swung into the formalism of his day. John the Baptist is called a witness. John the Baptist was a voice. John the Baptist is a New Testament. Elijah, John testified, Jesus testified of John and said there's none greater than he among men. He was a man's man. He wasn't a reed shaking in the wind. He didn't step on the scene surveying his city, shaking hands and kissing politicians to get by in life. The Bible says John the Baptist came preaching. He preached of wrath to come. He laid the acts of truth to the root of the heart. He called his generation a generation of vipers while most preachers took the long route around sin. He took a shortcut right to the heart of sin. He was a zealous man. He was a fireball. He was a man of faith and he was a man that God used in a great fashion. Now, if you were to question John the Baptist when you found him in his ministry early on, he'd have no reservation declaring God's real and Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, it was John that got the honor of declaring to the world that Jesus is the Lamb of God and he came to take away the sins of the world. John's heart was a heart full of faith. He preached full of faith. He witnessed full of faith. He lived full of faith. 
His faith gave him boldness. His faith gave him zeal. His faith made him stand before commoners and kings alike with steel running down his spine. He was fearless. He was courageous. He had faith in God. You talked to John early on in his life, and I'd say if you could even catch him, he probably moved around too much to have a conversation. But as John would pass by, he'd say things like this, God is on his throne. You'd say something to John, he'd respond and say, we're on the winning side. You say something to John, he'd respond, it's good to be an old time Christian. I mean, over and over again, you study his life and his life's a record of what God can do with a man that has great faith in God. God designed his life. God delighted in his life. God directed his life. God was in control in his life. But then you come to our text. John's in prison. He's been jailed because he wouldn't swallow his tongue and quit preaching against sin. Didn't matter if he's in a back alley or a high place, he preached against it. Now there's a scandal going on in the palace. And I'm sure it was the talk of the town back then because that's always the talk of the town today. Welcome to Facebook, amen. There's just something about gossip that people like. So here's the dirt. Herod Antipas had taken his brother Philip's wife to be his own wife. And now they're shacked up together there in the palace. Now, I doubt that was a big deal to most folks. I mean, why in the world? What's the problem? We're not voting in a preacher. We're voting for a president. <clears throat> What's it matter what a person does in his bedroom anyhow? I mean, you don't have to have mortals to lead a nation, do you? I mean, it's good enough for a California governor. It was good enough for Bill Clinton. I mean, it's got to be good enough for Herod. Culture accepted it. Rome accepted it. But the preacher couldn't accept it. Maybe John could have just bit his tongue and sheathed the sword and hushed his mouth, but that's not what John did at all. John was too cold of God not to call out sin. He didn't care who it was or where it was from. He put his finger on the nose of wickedness and called it out. John took that finger with wild honey dripping off of it, probably had a locust leg twitching between his teeth. He laid that finger right on the snout of Herod and said, it's unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. I thought, what in the world might happen in America if every so-called preacher would get in the pulpit on Sunday morning and absolutely have a time, say shame on the devil, call out sin and lift up Jesus when they preach. Quit throwing cotton balls at the backslidden crowd and just tell them what the Bible has to say. John the Baptist was a preacher. I love John the Baptist. He had such great faith in God. He knew that God was real. He knew that God was in control. He preached like it. He witnessed like it. He lived like it. He prayed like it. He was a man of faith. Now, Herodias wouldn't have this. That's Herod's harlot. So she gets him thrown in the slammer. So when we come to our text, John's in prison. Now think about it with me. He's no longer preaching in the Judean wilderness. He's no longer standing in those waist-deep waters of Jordan. He's no longer teaching the crowds of disciples that would follow him. He's no longer pointing people to Jesus now he's alone. Now he's locked up. His schedule's changed. His freedom's gone. His life's taken a turn that this preacher had not anticipated. Can you imagine how this confinement, these circumstances must have messed with the mind of John the Baptist? I mean, he thought he was preparing the way for the Messiah. 
He thought he'd watch Jesus triumph and take the throne of David. Prison wasn't on the planner of John the Baptist. He's used to action. He's used to a full crowd. He's used to a schedule that's packed. He's a maverick. He used to go to wherever it is he wants to go and serve the Lord. And we come down here in Luke chapter 7. And every time I read this passage, it convicts me of my own weakness because I see myself in John. I see myself in him as he sits there in these prison bars because what he battled with is what I often battle with. He's sitting in prison. Now think about this. While he's in prison, Jesus has been raising the dead. He's in prison and Jesus has been healing the lame. He's in prison and Jesus has been curing the sick. The disciples of John are watching Jesus do what only Jesus could do. I imagine they're excited to run back and encourage their preacher. They say, John, you'll never believe it. Jesus is doing what he's always done. Jesus is opening blinded eyes. Jesus is curing the leper. Jesus is raising the dead. And you think John was ready for Jubilee or John was ready for camp meeting, but that's not the case. John had those chains jingling on his wrist. He was looking at disciples through iron prison bars. He had Roman guards outside his cell. Not long from then, he'd be beheaded for his testimony and fear creeps in and doubt overwhelms and the flesh of John responds. He said, here, fellas, Would you go back and just make sure that he's really the one? Now think about it. Don't get mad at John. He's still the same man that he was. But his circumstances aren't what he planned. He's still a great man of faith. He doesn't doubt that there's a God, but he's battling about what God's doing in his life. In essence, he's saying, would you guys just go back and ask Jesus, are you really the Lamb of God? Would you just confirm it for me if he's really the Messiah? I want to know, are you really the Son of God? Now, wait a minute. How is that even possible? Think about who this guy is. That's the same guy that had preached to his nation that Jesus was the Lamb of God. That's the same guy that called out his generation a generation of vipers. That's that same guy that had such boldness and conviction as he stood before Herod. That's that same guy that worshipped the Lord in the womb of his mother. That's that same one that got the baptize Jesus in deep water in the river Jordan. That's that fireball, but where is he now? That's that zealot, but where is he now? That's that great man of faith, but where is he now? Jesus said, hey, he's the greatest among men, but look at him now. He's in a place he's never been before. He's in a place he hadn't planned to be. He's in a place he hadn't chosen for himself, and though he never lost faith in God, he began to doubt what God was doing in his life. So in that same heart, there's faith and there's doubt. There's boldness and there's fear. There's conviction and there's confusion. There's zeal and there's disillusionment. There's faith and there's doubt. Prison wasn't on his planter. Think about it with me. Jail wasn't on his radar. Chains weren't part of his agenda. Being beheaded by some wicked woman wasn't how he envisioned the end of his ministry. He's supposed to serve in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's supposed to watch Jesus ascend to the throne. And in John's estimation from his vantage point, it kind of feels like God might be getting this thing wrong. Let me stop and say it again. It is dangerous when you let that that script flip in your mind, in your heart. And you and I start to think God exists to fulfill every one of our desires. And we forget that we're here for his delight. 
And here's what happens when we don't handle that right. Doubt is 100% flesh. Faith is 100% spirit. And those two things battle in our heart. And if you allow it to, doubt blossoms into hurt. And doubt blossoms into disappointment. And doubt blossoms into confusion and shock. And doubt leads to heartache and anger and pain and tragedy. And in the same heart, there's that faith that says God is. And that doubt that says, what in the world is God doing? I'll say it again. Good circumstances don't make God God. And happy days don't make God God. And feeling blessed is not what makes God God. And having everything work out like you want to doesn't make God God. God is God regardless. I'd like to walk in that prison cell and say, John, God was God. When you were filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of your mother. God was God when you worshiped there in your mother's belly. God was God when you began to preach in the Judean wilderness. John, God was God when you got that three-piece camel hair suit. God was God when you ate locusts and wild honey. God was God when you called out the Pharisees. God was God when you said, behold the Lamb of God. God was God when you baptized Jesus. God was God when the feathers from that dove of the Holy Ghost fell around you. God was God when you stood before Herod and now you're wrapped in chains and you're locked in a cell and you don't know what tomorrow holds but I want to send you some news from the other side God is still God today that God that was still is the God that was is in control hey John don't doubt him now don't lose faith in him now it might not feel like it it might not look like it but the God that didn't fail yesterday he ain't going to fail today there's no need to doubt him now oh John don't doubt him now it was you that baptized him. It was you that preached for him. It was you that prepared the way. It was you. And Jesus said, here's what you do. Go back and tell John this. The lepers are cleansed. The blind can see. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached unto him. And there's no need to doubt me now. I'm afraid that I preach about God in the wrong way sometimes. Sometimes I think we present God like this. You just come to Jesus. Now, if you have marital trouble, you come to Jesus. He'll fix it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. It's not up to you. Amen. If you're sick, just come to Jesus and he'll heal you. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. That's not up to you. If you're having financial trouble, you just come to Jesus and he'll turn that thing around. Maybe he will and maybe he won't. You might like what he does for you, and you might not ever understand what he did in your life. But it doesn't change the fact he's still God. You might be here tonight and you say, you know what, that's easy preaching, hard living. I know that. And maybe you're wondering, is God in control? Or his promises true? Can he really make a way? Does he really know what he's doing? Well, how in the world am I facing what I'm facing? And there it is in your heart, those two incompatible things that can cohabitate. There is doubt and there is fear. Doubt always hits in the valley. It always hits in the storm. It always hits in the hard time. But I want to encourage your heart and say this, God has been faithful. God is faithful and he abideth faithful and God's being faithful is not contingent on God doing what you think he ought to do faithful is just who God is and no doubt your heart is like mine and your flesh is like mine and sometimes we scan the horizon of our life and things aren't falling into place like we thought and we begin to wonder if God knows what he's doing can I say don't release your anchor from God don't you set sail from that harbor God is still where he's ever been you can trust Jesus don't doubt him now I see John in this prison cell. If you drop down to verse number 22, Jesus says, send him this message. 
Look what he says. In verse number 22, he says, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Now look at verse 23. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. He said, you go remind John, I'm still doing what I've always done. He might not be where he planned to be, but he's right where I put him. He must decrease, I must increase. Remind him of that. The blind are seeing, the dead are walking again. He said, but also go tell John this. He'll be blessed if he won't get bitter about what I'm doing in his life. He'll get victory if he doesn't spend his time doubting and questioning what I'm doing in his life. If you want God to bless you, you and I have to grow in grace to the fact where we don't just have faith in the fact that God is, but we'll just trust Him for what He's doing in our life. I think about that old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Maybe you're here tonight and your expectation wasn't a funeral. That ain't what you planned. Your expectation wasn't to be unemployed. It's not what you planned. Your expectation wasn't divorce. It's not what you planned. Your expectation wasn't cancer. It's not what you planned. Your expectation wasn't have a rebellious child. It's not what you planned. I say it like this. Paul didn't plan his thorn. Jacob didn't plan his limp. John didn't plan his prison. But God was still in control. I don't know why some people are healthy and some people are sick. I don't know why some people make money and have money and some people live broke. I don't know why it is some folks live in sorrow while other folks seem to have joy. I don't know why it is some folks have to live on through tragedy while some folks seem to have no trouble. But none of that changes the fact God is God. My wife and I were married for 10 years before we had a baby. That's a long time to be married and not have children. Even longer to be married and not have children when you're in the ministry. Because if you're a preacher, you have to have, I don't know, 100 of them. And they all have to wear burlap sacks and denim jumpers and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Just everybody. We travel around 14 years in evangelism. And every time I'd go someplace, people would ask me those first nine years or so, y'all have kids yet? Baptist people are nosy. I know nobody here is, but I know some others that probably are. And man, everywhere I'd go, they'd say, do you have any kids yet? Well, not yet. They'd say, well, don't you like kids? And I thought, not if they're going to grow up and be like you. That's the last thing I want is two of you in this world. I said, yeah, we kind of like them. I mean, they're fine. We have a dog, and we like kids. We, we weren't not trying to have children. God just hadn't given us any children. And what people didn't know is that my wife, and she uses this testimony at ladies' meetings and things, so she's fine if I say it. But she, she has a condition that makes it difficult for her to have children. And she's a great mom. And, she, and we have a little boy now, and God's paying us back for praying so much for kids. He gave us one kid equals ten. He's at home right now eating drywall and drinking lead paint. I think, you know, he's just, that's just who he is. He's crazy. But she wasn't able to get pregnant. We tried everything. We'd go to these Baptist churches. I mean, every Baptist witch doctor in America tried to help us have children. I'm telling you, man, I, they go, they say, well, if you just, if, if you'll take these pills, spend four times on a full moon, cover yourself in essential oils, all these Harry Potter Baptists, you sprinkle this and you make sure colder and full of oils here. I'm not really against it, but I do preach against it. Most men can't say amen because if they have a beard, it's like a diffuser for lavender. You know, their wife makes them use it at the house. But we tried everything, and it just wasn't. 
It just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't happening. We'd gone to an actual doctor and gotten different procedures, shots, and different things trying to help, and just wouldn't happen. I was preaching in Florida, and I'd been gone for about two weeks at that time. hadn't been home in two weeks. And I didn't know that she was pregnant and hadn't told me. And I was down there. I was getting ready to preach. I think it was a Tuesday. And she called me, and I answered the phone. And when I, I said, hello, and she kind of whimpered back through the phone and said, hey. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, I was going to wait till you got home to surprise you with it. She said, but I'll go ahead and tell you. She said, she said I've been pregnant. And I was excited, man. We've been praying about that because you begin to wonder what in the world's God doing. Yeah. And she said, well, I didn't want to let you know I just left the hospital. She said, I'm sitting in the church parking lot right now. She said, I woke up this morning and something wasn't right. She said, I lost the baby today. I never felt pain like that before. I had to preach that night. I could have gone to the pulpit, I guess, and told everybody what happened, but I didn't just went and preached. But I got to be honest with you, while I was preaching to them, have faith in God, there's a lot of doubt in my heart that night. You begin to wonder, God, we've been trying to serve God. And there's kids in high school go out on prom night and get drunk and do something crazy and have a baby and leave it, don't want it. We've been begging God for a baby. And I got to be honest with you, that doubt began to come in. What in the world is God doing? God made up for it. I told you he gave us one that equals 10, so he worked it all out. But I had to learn, you know what? He was God before, and he was God during, and he's still God right now. I remember in Kentucky at our church, a family in Texas, a family from our church was in Texas on vacation. And as they were driving down the road, their 17-year-old son, I got a picture of him on my phone. He's trying to preach at a meeting, and I got a picture of me and him praying at the altar. He was driving their van and a vehicle came up behind them and rear-ended them, shoved their vehicle across the double line and a tractor trailer came down the other side and ran over their van. The father and all three of his sons were instantly killed. The mother and the 10-year-old daughter survived, but they were in critical condition for a long time. We had that funeral at the church and there was four blue caskets in front of that church. On each <coughs> casket was a picture of the body that was on the inside. A father, a six-year-old, I think he was 11, and a 17-year-old boy. I didn't know she was even going to be there, but in the middle aisle there at that viewing was the widow and the mother. She was laid out in a wheelchair. Her jaw was wired shut. I went through the line, and I thought, what in the world am I going to say to her? Well, I mean, what do you say to somebody? And I didn't know what to say. I just went up to her, and I mentioned her name, and I said, I just want you to let you know we're praying for you, and people all over America are praying for you. And she looked at me with her jaw wired shut, and here's what she said. Thank you, Brother Cooper. I know this. God has a reason. If you were to go to that church in Kentucky today, you'd see a little old lady walk in there with a limp and a cane. And people in this world have no idea why she has the limp. But it's from that accident where she lost all of her boys and her husband. Still in church every service. You know why? She just figured this. He's been faithful. He's faithful. He'll always be faithful. There's no need to doubt him now. Here's what I found out during this last two years of weirdness in our world. A lot of folks have made bad decisions or gotten discouraged to the point where they've fallen out. But let me encourage you tonight and remind you this. Whatever it is, you might not have planned it, but just because God doesn't measure up to your expectation doesn't mean he's not God. And it doesn't mean he's not in control. Because one thing we know is this, God's always in control. And tonight, church, I just want to be a help to you. And here's the thought. Take home with you. There is no need to doubt him now. 
Let's bow our heads just for a moment. That's my thought for tonight. I hope it was a help to you. I want to have a word of prayer and we'll have an invitation this evening. I believe this. God knew who would be here. He knew what he laid on my heart to preach. So somebody must have needed just to hear the statement. There's no need to doubt him now. Maybe you're tonight and say, Preacher, our life has been that way. And I needed to hear that tonight. And he said, would you just pray for us? And you'd lift an honest hand and say, would you pray with me? My hand's raised. I've got things, but you'd raise yours. I see those hands. I appreciate your honesty, many of you. Yep. Life twists and turns, doesn't it? But there's one thing we know. God doesn't make mistakes. I'm going to pray this altar be open. If you need to come tonight, you just step out and come as we have this invitation. Lord, I pray that you bless tonight. Thank you for this church and these people. I pray you'd meet the need of this hour. God, you know the hearts of everybody here, and we'll trust you to do your work. I pray someone tonight would trade out that doubt for faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet if you would. Altar's open. Some have already come to pray. Why don't you step out tonight? Sunday night be a great time to spend some time on an old-fashioned altar. Maybe you need to come as a family and pray together. Maybe some heartache or trial or uncertainty has crept in. Maybe you're... Where I said, looking, looking for a job. I know people in our church are unemployed, always had a job, and now suddenly it's fallen out. There's no need to doubt him now. You just wait on him. You just trust in him. This altar's open. Why don't you come tonight? Let the Lord help you. You come. Altar's open.